This is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, I'm Damien Reed. Uh, this hour is all about, however, the latest in the world of cars with Intersan Giado, the co-founder of Motoring Middle East. We're also going to hear from Amna Al-Kabasi, the first female Emirati race driver on the international stage, and she set a new record just recently at Yas Marina Circuit in a car that I actually really like. We're going to find out what that is a little later in the show. Um, a shortage of cars is affecting Hala and Karim. Has it also had an effect on the rentals? Ecar's CEO is speaking to me before midday, and of course, we're still still talking about the car features you've always dreamt of having we live in a world of self-driving cars and soon maybe i don't know perhaps flying cars uh but would you trade those for a few little extras um and uh and and what would be the feature on the car if funds were not an issue uh matthew davison already gave my secret away i would want a coffee maker especially if it's going to be an autonomous car that someone else is driving for me and i can enjoy that on the way to to the office or wherever i'm going now before we kick off our car news with uh if you are a porsche owner or a porsche fan believe me this is for you this is an event that we were both at the other night and it is the icons of porsche that's happening next weekend so i had a chat with dr manfred brunel the ceo of porsche middle east and africa about about the icons of Porsche, here's what I asked him. What made you think that you think, I'm going to raid the keys to the Porsche Museum in Stuttgart and bring them over here? <laughs> this is actually a very good question. And uh, I was called up by the Porsche Museum because they were calling me up and saying, what do you want to do with all these cars, with all these classic cars and, and cars in Dubai? And I said, we're going to put up an amazing event because I simply think this is missing in Dubai to bring all the icons of Porsche of the last 70 years, whether it's street cars, race cars, everything we bring together. And this is it uh, all about. And at the end of the day, actually, the, the head of the Porsche Museum said, can I come? And I said, you are welcome to come. It's going to be amazing. We have not only Porsche collectors there, um, Porsche owners there. We have um, so many Porsche fans who are coming, and I get really excited about it uh, to do this. But there's the, the 935, famously known as Moby Dick, that, uh, Correct, that, that, that yeah. won Le Mans that many times. Yeah. The 917, the car that really characterised Porsche in the early 1970s, again at Le Mans. That's the car that Steve McQueen had in the, in the, in the famous <laughs> exactly. movie. But also some new concepts as well that you've that you've shown, you've had a, uh, given us a quick sneak look at tonight. I don't want to say that much. There is the Porsche Unseen series and we bring a few cars to the event and I will not reveal them right now but they are for the first time um, uh, being shown outside of Germany so we put them on a plane uh, bring them here so for the very first time we show them here in Dubai to all the Porsche fans and these cars will just complement uh, all the classic cars we are bringing to to the icons of Porsche. I, I actually think this is a, a really fantastic initiative because we're so the whole industry is so caught up about talking about the future with, with good reason with mm-hmm. electrification coming you have the take it's a huge story with the future of Porsche, but it's nice to remind people of the amazing history of Porsche. And there's a huge Porsche community in the, in the UAE and in Dubai as well. So it's nice actually when you see the cars because you can actually see how the, the, the mark has, has progressed from, I mean, there's a beautiful 911 Tiger inside the 2.4. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, love that yeah, car. Too, yeah. um, and then you can see hints of that that's, of, that's in the current car as well. Um, and of course, the Tiger styling with the with the, the wraparound yeah. glass window. But but even with, and I've I've driven the Taycan a few times, and it's uh, fantastic. But it's the driving position and just the instrumentation. Mm. Again, there's little things that hark back. So the starter is on the is on the left side, and the, the the the, the wraparound glass. So. Yeah. It's a great opportunity for people to sort of see how the, the, the past and the future come together. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, this is the thing, you know, if you if you know Porsche a little bit and you have maybe a 911, uh, 10 years old and you get into a, a brand new Taycan, you, you actually feel at home. I mean, of course, it's much more futuristic and it's different, but the instrument cluster and everything and the lines in the car um, very much remind you of Porsche. And that's what we also call the Porsche DNA, um, that this doesn't change. Obviously, with our icon, with the 911, uh, first 911 came out in 1963. Um, and uh, if you look at a brand new 911, you look at this first one, which we have here with the Notaga, with the F model, um, you see clearly this is a 911. You can spot it already from half a kilometer away. Uh, and this also makes it, of course, very, very special. I think there are not too many products out there yeah. who can say that. Yeah, so that was uh, Dr. Manfred Brunel, the CEO of Porsche Middle East and Africa, talking about the icons of Porsche. It's happening next weekend at the Slab D3, November 19 and 20. And the good news is it's open and free to everyone encouraging families to get down there as well. If you're a Porsche owner, there's even preferential parking, so take your Porsche down if you want. And Shan, you were down there with me uh, during the week having a look at the preview. Um, I was absolutely blown away by what I saw in there, and that was just a small portion of what's, uh, of what, what's going to be available next weekend. Yeah, there were some really incredible cars out there. We're talking about one of the original prototype Porsches from 48 that Ferry worked on himself, beautifully restored. They had a 93578 driven by Jochen Maas. That was 850 horsepower. <laughs> Absolutely sensational car. And so fast that Porsche didn't even want to sell it to their customers because they gave them slightly lesser cars. Bit of gossip there for you. Uh, and, of course, one of my favorite cars, the 917K. That's just uh, the old style. Of course, if you, if you don't know what 917K is, Google it. If you've seen Le Mans with Steve McQueen behind the wheel, that was what was in that movie. It was an unbelievable car. On top of that, we also had some nice new modern metal. We had the Carrera GT. We had the 919 Street concept, which was a beautiful thing. Same as just a concept. You could tell that because it didn't have an interior. It was just a clay model, but a beautiful car nonetheless. And I think the rest of the cars, there are about 13 in total. Mm. are all going to be exceptional examples of the Porsche Museum. Yeah, and there are other cars that we didn't get to see there, that, such as the iconic 959 that will be down there, the GT1 that, that uh, raced uh, at Le Mans in the, uh, the mid-2000s as well. Um, so many cars down there. My personal favourite, same as yours, the 917. To me, that is just the epitome of, of, of Porsche in the glory era when uh, when motor racing was really dangerous, even more so than today. Um, at when you had an idea of sports cars or supercars in the 80s, when you had a, in your mind as a child, whether it was a Countach or the 917, that's what it looked like, the 917. Growing up, that's what a really fast car looked like to me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, so that's happening next weekend. Get down there if you can. There's a whole lot going on. Um, there's even a full-size Lego 911 there you can play with as well. So uh, so much going on. Now, a question, Imtasham, we were asking before. What car feature we do you wish that you had on your car? To give you an example, uh, we got a text from Leslie um, who said that a built-in hairdryer in the driver's seat, if you fixed it at the top of the seat, it would save a lot of female drivers a lot of time in the morning. Um or before you head out for an event. Um, interesting one. I wouldn't have thought of that. But uh, what would be uh, the feature that you wish you would like to have? Oh, good Lord. Uh, <laughs> that's a good one. You put me on the spot here. Um, I'm going to say some a hairdryer is an excellent idea. Um, basically, a clothesline to hang things, I always <laughs> said. <laughs> you come off the beach, you come out of the desert, you just want to put some stuff on the line, just let it dry. That's not a bad idea, isn't it? That's all right. That's not a bad way to go. Um, yeah. Now, a few things been happening in the in the United States this week. One particular event that I, I haven't been to yet, I'd love to go to, uh, is SEMA, 
and um, now one of the cars that was there is uh, that's that's that struck a bit of uh, uh, curiosity is the Ford F one hundred Illuminator. Tell us about this one. What do you, what do you know about the, this this pickup? So the Illuminator is basically a classic Ford F one fifty. For those who don't know, it used to be called the F one hundred back in the seventies. It's a very very long series of vehicles, and this is a classic vehicle from the seventies. Big big full frame full size truck as they call it. But they've ripped out the guts and put in the motor from a Mustang Marquis, which is the electric crossover that they're selling in the U.S. And I think we hope we'll get here, but it's not confirmed yet. So basically, it's a pretty fast setup. I mean, we're talking about 300, 400 horsepower from two motors fore and aft. And what they've done is just made a brilliant car because, to be honest, the old engines aren't much cop. They're old, thirsty V8s that sound great, but don't go particularly fast, use a lot of gas. But you put an electric motor in there, drop it to the ground, and it just looked ice cool, doesn't it? Absolutely. I, I, I have to say, I do like the look of it. It's got that sort of rat rod look from the outside, so it looks old and a bit rusty. But then it's got a very modern interior, digital dash. It's got the touchscreen uh, rotary dial in the center console, and that's the thing, which from the outside is obviously all hidden, and it's, it's EV, it's quick, which... Brings you on to another question about classic car restorations, and it's that the camp is in definitely in two two uh, sides here: restoring a classic car to its completely original condition, or restoring it as we say in the trade resto mod style, where you uh, you do add a few modern bits and pieces into it to make it drivable and livable in today's value. Where where do you kind of sit in all of this? Uh, if it's historically significant, if it's worth a lot of money. Or if the if it just feel like it, I think you should leave it alone. That's what my my take. However, if the car was quite boring or had a very meh engine to start with, then yeah, have at it. I think a good example is what Hyundai just did with their Grandeur from yes. the eighties, which is a very forgettable Mitsubishi-based saloon. And what they have done is, I think I spent a million dollars on it potentially and turning this really cool electric car. They use the drivetrain. They don't say what it is, but they've completely redone the interior put LED panels for the lights, etc. It's incredible. It's the most, I don't know, just alluring middle-brow middle, middle brow hatch, uh, sedan I've ever seen from the yeah. 80s. But yeah, if you've got a Ferrari 250 GTO, obviously leave it alone. You're talking about $70 million for our first starters. <laughs> of course, of course. So, um, yeah, lots going on in SEMA in the United States. And we've got a lot more coming up here, so do stick around. In the Shanjiado from Motoring Middle East, this is Motormania, Dubai I, 103.8. This is Motormania. On Dubai Eye, 103.8. We're back in the driver's seat. This is Motormania. On Dubai Eye, 103.8. Yes, we're with you all the way through till midday. Motormania, Dubai Eye, 103.8. And I'm with Inthesant Giado of uh, Motoring Middle East. Uh, Now, Inthesant, I want to bring up a subject here. We're talking about car shortages and we've been talking about this over the last last few weeks we all know about the issue that's going on there but it also means the trickle down effect means that we're paying more for taxi rides and rental cars here um, and we've been asking is this just a supply and demand or have fares and rentals actually become unreasonable um, now we're speaking to eCar a little later on to uh, to, to, to get a, a, their their perspective on all of this but right now, we're just going to have a quick listen to the MD of Mobility for Kareem, Basil Al-Naluli, um, and what he's talking about in terms of waiting times. If you look at the actual time of arrival, it's increased by 18 seconds. That is probably skewed during our peak hours when most people want to move. And that's in the morning time when you're heading to work and in the evening times coming back from work. 
Shan, I mean, we all love our cars, but do you use rideshare often and do you find that things have sort of changed in the last uh, few weeks, months? Well, I've had to use rideshare quite a bit because I'm in the middle of restoring a Land Cruiser quite badly. <laughs> so I'm using a lot of taxis to get about. And I have to say, uh, prices have crept up, but not so much that I would notice. I think there are plenty of good deals and offers on. So I don't think it's as bad as people are perhaps thinking. But I think there's a general perception that prices are going up. Obviously, the economy is doing well. People are looking more positive. So I think people are just transferring their feelings. I can't comment one way or the other, but I do think people are overstating it a little bit. Yeah, I think, as I was saying with Matthew Davison earlier on, I think, in a sense, we're, we're a victim of our own success in terms of the region bouncing back because it's good to see clogged roads, I have to say. I, I, I After going through that the dearth of of, um, of the, the, the quiet roads during COVID and then, then business a little quieter previously to that, um, it's... Knowing that you're in a traffic jam means that people are out there and, and, and the economy is, is getting back into full gear. So you kind of, I don't know, I, I don't mind a traffic jam. I never thought I'd ever say that. But with that also comes, obviously, rideshare vehicles are staying in traffic longer, so their rates are going up. So it's uh, it's all part of the big cycle. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're stuck in traffic, you're not going anywhere, but the meter's still running. By the way, I'm not crazy about traffic because guess who converted their automatic gearbox to manual? Oh, not brilliant. loving that part. Oh, brilliant. With a heavy clutch, this is the Land Cruiser. Well, I put the lightest clutch I can and <laughs> didn't make that much difference. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, that is one of the one of the issues, isn't it, around here? Uh, speaking about big-size SUVs and various things like that, uh, we talked about this before with, the, with the, the, the Ford Bronco suggesting that a V8 version might be coming. But now we're talking about the Raptor. Um, the V8 version might not be as well, according to what you're hearing, I understand. This is a scoop. You're hearing it here for the first time, people. Uh, absolute breaking news. So from what I hear from sources, uh, well-verified sources, the Raptor is getting a V8 version. Obviously, it's been well announced, but I don't think we're going to get one for a good long time, maybe as long as two years. The sad and simple truth is that the car's not cancelled for the UAE. We're very much going to get it, but the US has taken all of our production. Really? So we are. The good news is there is good news. You can go into an Altair showroom right now and book a brand new Raptor. In fact, it's sitting on the showroom floor. So I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that you have to have a V8. The V6 is perfectly fine. It's 450 horsepower, people. Mm. And it's in the showroom. Go check it out. It's a great-looking truck. Yeah, I've got to say, I mean, Ford's Ecotech range of engines are absolutely, whether you're talking about the little one-liter three-cylinder engine in the in their tiny cars up to the 3.7 twin-turbo V6s, my goodness, they extract enormous amount of power in a very, very efficient manner. I, I, put, them, I put that series of engines down at the very, very top in terms of great engines of the modern era. I really do. No, oh, you can't go wrong with them. They're pretty good on gas, and they got tons of power. I don't miss V8s. But having said that, in about five years, when there are no V8s and we all drive electric cars, then I probably will miss them all quite a bit. I'll take my words quite happily. <laughs> now, speaking about uh, performance vehicles and everything else, uh, Abu Dhabi police have come out saying that they're going to find reckless drivers with fines of up to 13,000 dirhams, and uh, and those caught flouting the rules will have 12 black points, i.e. you lose pretty much lose your licence. Um, they've said that motorists driving illegally modified cars that cause noise, and that being mostly bouncing off rev, rev limiters and that sort of thing could face this fine that's coming up um, and because there's been a, a spate of this happening recently now I'm not sure whether that's because we've been allowed out to run around or whatever but 
Abu Dhabi police have noticed there's been a bit of a, a spate on this and appearing on social media. Um, the negative behaviour, they say, creates unrest and panic among people, especially children and the elderly, and the stress among other road users. Police now saying they will not tolerate those deliberately causing a disturbance and flouting the rules. Um, we've seen it over the time. I think it's it's a good thing that, that finally it's a it's a, a it's a serious deterrent that's coming in. It's a it's a it's a big fine and on your points and on your uh, out of your wallet. I think the only thing you can do in such cases, I'm not going to have a slightly controversial take, is you need to take the cars away. It needs to go straight to impound. I think the yeah. rules are excellent. I think they can take it further because the kind of people who do this sort of thing are not terribly deterred by the idea of 12 black points because they're driving illegally modified cars. I think they're well up for pushing the boundaries even more. So the best thing you can do is go all the way, police take their cars away and make them drive something small and hatchbacky for a month. I think that's good. And, and, and I think we're seeing that. I'm not correct if I'm wrong. I'm just sort of flying off the off the handle here. But in Dubai, that the the, uh, the auctions here um, do run regularly, weekly auctions of impounded cars for, for guys who just continually flout those rules. And, and that's something that's now – it's a global thing too. Other police forces are using the same methods to try and curb um, you know, reckless driving, as we say. Well, there are two things you can do here, really. One is, I think it was Canada that did this. They basically took the cars and publicly crushed them, mm. which was quite painful to watch. But I think that really gets it home. We're like, you're not getting your car back. Your car's getting destroyed. And here's the video so you can watch it being crushed to pieces. I used to think that was a bad idea. Now, as I get older, I'm like, no, they're not going to learn unless they figure out that their cars are just not coming back. Number two, I think you need to give people an outlet for the sort of urges of wanton destruction take it to the track, create an area where they can do these sort of things. I'm sure Dubai Autodrome and Yas Marina are thinking of creative ways to do it, but they can only do so much. People need to be told that there are places you can go and have fun safely without just being annoying. Absolutely. And, and there's off-road places and there's drag strips, there's Umul Quain, there's other places around as well. There is no shortage of places to go and enjoy your vehicle uh, in, a, in a safe and friendly environment without using it on the roads and, and those two tracks as well. There, there's other places popping up in other parts of the Emirates. Um, there's no shortage really to, to get out there and enjoy a car in a responsible way. But you come from a country, country known for inventing the word that refers to this, which is actually hooning. Uh, Damien, <laughs> yes. what happened in Australia and how did they solve the hooning problem? Um, they set draconian laws by, by making it one kilometre hour over the limit and you get a very big fine. You also lose your vehicle. It is impounded and it's sold at auction if you're uh, 30 kilometres an hour over the limit. So, um, yeah, it's 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 fairly tough and they have cracked down on, on that back there. Um, but you ask, is that going too far? That's a, that's a, That's another issue as well. I would say it's going too far, but at the same time, I think if people's lives are on the line, yeah. and if people can't walk down a suburban street, then I'm willing to give up a bit of my freedom when it comes to speed if I can simply make sure the roads are safe for other people. Yeah, now just quickly, going back to what we were talking about before, in terms of, uh, we were talking about rideshare before, but in terms of taxis, uh, a survey recently showed that 71% of respondents use public transport in the UAE. Dubai residents rely on private cars the least for daily trips, only 44%. Um, and uh, 48% of all respondents re highlighted an improved first to last mile as the key factor to increase the use of the public transport. Now, what they're referring to there, of course, we've got a fantastic public transport infrastructure with the with the metro, the buses, the whole lot. The first last mile issue is about getting to the bus stop, getting to the metro station in the heat. Now, that's being improved a lot. Um, uh, do you find that you've been using public transport a little bit more, especially now that you're restoring this car? 
Uh, I would say no, but that's because I'm kind of like driving car. Like, I'm driving, so I've never been a big public transport guy. When I did use it, it was extremely comfortable, reliable, and efficient. And to be honest with you, take an example of something that's happening right now, the Expo. I wouldn't drive to the Expo, and I'm not even that far away yes. from it. I would drive to the nearest train station. It drops you right in the heart of Expo. Why would you want to drive there and park and take a bus? I mean, it's an excellent system. Don't get me wrong. The Expo is beautifully set up. But just take a train. It's so comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And and I was going to use that as the perfect example because, like you, yeah, I enjoy driving vehicles and and love getting around. But when it comes to Expo, I just use the I just use the Metro, and it takes you straight there, drops you right into the middle of uh, of Expo, and uh, no issue with parking and ride and bus rides and all that sort of thing. So uh, that's the one. That's a, a perfect example for for using the RTA. Yeah, it doesn't work for every solution. It's a lot of last mile stuff, stuff type stuff. But if you go to places like Dera, for example, yep. where parking is at a premium, we're talking about the marina. Parking isn't a great idea. So you might as well find a public transport solution. So obviously, if you're going out in the middle of the desert, you probably need a car. But there is a solution offered by the RTA for every problem. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, time's run out, Imshant. Thank you so much. And um, I'll see you, no doubt, at a launch somewhere in the next week or two. And... Uh, what are your plans this afternoon? I'm probably going to go off for a bit of a desert bimble and see what my restored truck is going to do. Probably, hopefully, not break down. Fantastic. Well, enjoy that. And uh, and we'll see you in uh, in two weeks' time. Thanks, Damien. Great. Thanks very much. Into Shanjado of uh, Motoring Middle East. This is Motormania, Dubai Eye 103.8. Fix it or flip it. So here's what you need to do. Tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it's worth and uh, how does it work. Well, it's easy. We need the details about your car, the make, the model, the year, the colour and the mileage. Uh, but I'm not doing all this alone, no. I'm joined by valuation guru Matthew Davison, Head of Pricing at Algo Driven. Uh, good morning, Matthew. Good morning, Damien. How are you? I'm very good, very good for a Saturday morning, of course, and uh, we've got lots to go on. But I want to ask you very quickly, though, you ordered a uh, a cab or a Kareem earlier this week. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I know it's a hot topic in the UAE at the moment uh, about getting hyper taxis or um, Kareem or Uber. And I think, you know, you know it's... It, it, the, the volumes seem to be crazy in the mornings, obviously, when people go to work and then in the evenings when people return. But uh, I had a couple of situations where my car was in for service and I needed to to get a Kareem after work. And I think JLT to al which, as you know, is not a far distance, 110 dirhams. That was what it cost <laughs> me to get there. And I had to do it. Really, 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 really painful. Yeah, we've noticed this a bit uh, recently too, with the, obviously with Expo and, and traffic building up again. Uh, Basil Al-Nahluli is the MD of mobility at Karim, and he was speaking to the Business Breakfast earlier this week, explaining these surge in prices. Surge pricing works purely to incentivize captains join the marketplace. At the end of the day, Karim's a marketplace that matches captains with customers. When things get really busy and the captain then starts to have an opportunity cost of actually getting stuck in traffic and moving around. And so you have to incentivize the captain to show up to that location to cater to that demand. And you start to increase that price for them to make more on that trip, which is costing him more time, effort, and and so on. How it works is if there is a lot of demand in a certain zone, the pricing goes up. We cap this in Dubai, uh, and that's capped at 3x. So a customer can never pay more than 3x when a trip is required. And if you didn't have surge pricing, then you wouldn't find a car in the first place. 
Yeah, so that's the explanation from uh, from from Kareem. Um, but uh, but Matthew, it seems to be happening a little more often than it was just a few months ago. Yeah, but uh, you know, this I don't believe this is a Kareem issue. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, uh, I look at it. I look at it from a positive perspective. So I look across the whole of the UAE and I see lot a lot more people on the roads. I know restaurants are busy, hotels are busy. So. I think the UAE is booming at the moment and we obviously have Expo on at the moment. And I don't think, you know, we should look at this necessarily as negative, especially as we all live here and work here and benefit from the UAE. So for, for me, having the UAE as, um, you know, a country that's really, really set an, ex- an example of, of how you come out of a pandemic and and. I look at it really from a financial perspective of mm-hmm. of, of 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 business and and uh, opportunity. You know, it's there, and I, I speak to everybody. You can't get hire cars at the moment. It's very difficult. You know, people that, that are looking to buy used cars, they're struggling because of a, a shortage in inventory. So this isn't a specific problem to Kareem. This is across the entire country for for many reasons yeah I, I agree with you i was saying to someone just just recently and you know we've both been in this country for a, for a long time now and the traffic now reminds me of what it was before even the gfc going back to the to the you know early 2000s and i said you know what it's actually it's good to see crowds and traffic and traffic jams back because that means that the economy is ticking over and things are happening because there was it was a little bit sad when the roads were quiet to be honest with you and uh, as much as we we're enjoying the quicker lead times and to get around town but it meant that there weren't there wasn't as many people living there as we were before. So in a way, you're right. I mean, to see to have this issue is is a is a good problem to have in my books. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As I said, as a long term resident of the UAE, and you know, I'm settled here. This is my this is my country for for good. Um, so I want to see the UAE do well. And I think, as I said, this is a consequence of many many parts. You know, we've we've gone into the winter now, so. Dubai obviously picks up for tourism, etc. But we've got the wonderful expo happening, which is drawing in record crowds. Um, you, you've got, you know, the whole country just seems electrified at the moment. And as I said, it is painful when you when you finish work and you can't get a taxi or, or an Uber or Kareem. But but from my point of view, I'm trying to look at it from a positive point. And, and I think this is a consequence of our country doing fantastic. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we'll be talking to, uh, to to the guys at eCar a little later on to find out if the, um, the, the, the rental car platform, of course, to find out if it's the same in the rental car market as things get uh, busy around town. But anyway, on to today's talker, Matthew. What's the, uh, what's the car feature of your dreams? What would you like to have if money was no object? Oh, that's difficult. I mean, <laughs> from a car guy, I mean, uh, more perfor- more performance. You can never have more performance. But you know, it's funny because a few years ago, that would actually be quite easy to 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 answer. But yeah. people have invented a lot of stuff that I want. I mean, years ago. I always wanted remote start, you know, the ability to cool your car before you got there. Most cars have that now. And then obviously the the, the autonomous driving or the ability to take the heavy lifting out of, of driving, particularly on the highway, which, you know, companies like Tesla are now well underway uh, to solve that issue. So the main things have actually been achieved and, and you know, sticking with Tesla, of course, you've got naught to 60 times under two seconds with the Plaid S. So yeah, where do I go? I've got a lot of a lot of dreams uh, already uh, accomplished. But I think uh, yeah, I definitely have a coffee machine. I think that's a great shout. An espresso in the morning. Yeah, I'll have one of those, please. You've uh, you've actually um, you've said my one. 
<laughs> a coffee machine, yes. I would take that so straight I, I think up. We're, we're, both co- we're both coffee aficionados, aren't we? Absolutely, absolutely. Right, let's go to the line. And uh, first up, we've got uh, Anand, who has a 2016 Mitsubishi Pajero, full option, single owner, Dubai registered, 240,000 kilometres. Good morning, Anand. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning. So tell us about your Pajero 2016 model. Uh, it's a 2016 model, and I've been driving it uh, only on the highways. And uh, I was looking for a change. So I was wondering, you know, what would be, what can I get for it? Right. So, Matthew, yeah, 240,000 kilometers. Um, what do you think about that? Pajeros are always pretty, pretty honest vehicles. Yeah, I mean, the desirability is there. We, we talk about Pajeros most weeks on the show. Um, the kilometers are really getting up there. And I think, you know, an average kilometer, which would be about 85, 90,000 kilometers, that would fetch probably as much as 60, 65 in the market. But with those kilometers, you'll be looking at more 40 to 45,000, probably more towards 40. But I would probably start by advertising the car out there, 44, 45,000. How does that sound, Anand? 40,000, 45,000? Is that sort of in your ballpark? Yeah, that was uh, kind of what I was expecting. Uh, I have a follow-up question for Matthew. Sure. Yeah, Matthew, I'm looking to get a car for my wife uh, who wants to drive to her work. It's just about uh, uh, 25 kilometers up and down daily. I was thinking of uh, some compact SUV used one. Which one would you suggest? Yeah, so you've got you've got like a, a mid-option SUV that she's going to feel safe with. I, I mean, I, I know um, yeah, a lot yeah. of people like that extra yeah, ride height. Yeah, yeah. I, I would be looking along the lines of Kia Sportage's, um, maybe um, look at some of the Fords, like the, the EcoSport as well, which they're, they're very affordable cars and, and you can get, obviously, the benefit of feeling a little bit like higher on the road. Um, but that, that they're the type of cars you want to look at. Maybe uh, look also at uh, the the Hondas as well. Like a CRV is quite a good uh, option as well. Will we'll retain its value, um, easy to maintain and uh, reliable, of course. How does that one and and uh, the uh, the Kia and uh, you say the EcoSport, very economical vehicle. What do you think? Yeah, my main criteria would be you know it should be very low on maintenance. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think they're, they're quite within uh, within reason of that one, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much, Anand. In, enjoy thank you, your thank day. You thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you. You, you too. Now, we've got on the, on the, on the other line, we've got Sunil has a, uh, a 2012 Ford Taurus. Sunil, you've got a few, uh, few issues, though, with the car. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, good morning. I've been driving this car, yeah, I've been driving this car for a while now. Uh, it, it is a company car, which was given to me. And uh, it, it's done about 265,000 uh, kilometers. And uh, there have been a few issues like the, uh, the engine fan, the radiator fan uh, stops when I've slowed down the car. And apart from that, it's, it, it's, it's all right. It has got an issue with the tie rod also. Mm-hmm. So I think it's high time I get rid of the car. And uh, I, I just don't know if, I'll have, if, if there'll be buyers for the car. This old and, you know... <laughs> Yeah, so 
a couple of things that need to be so you say you've got issues with the tie rod that usually means a, re, a replacement because that's your front suspension and you say the radiator fan stops when you pull up at the light so might be some cooling that's issues right, yeah. there uh matthew now as you say it's uh 2012 ford taurus um all the options 265,000 kilometers with those kind of issues what do you think sunil might be able to be looking forward to yeah, I mean the suspension issue can be can be fixed as you say. Tie rod end um, can be changed. Getting to the bottom of the cooling issue is important. You don't want to be selling that car um, with that issue, and that could be a whole host of things. I mean, it's it it, it could literally be um, the radiator uh, fan itself. Um, it sounds like the car to me is already the radiator fan has already failed, and the car is is cooling by the nature that you're driving and you're moving and you're getting air into the engine. And, and when okay. it stops, it could overheat. If that happens, you're going to end up uh, cooking the head of the car, um, and that will be in a very mm-hmm. expensive fix, or more likely the end of that car, uh, because I think at the moment the value of that car is very very low um, in its current state, probably ten twelve thousand get the radiator um, issue fixed or the radiator fan issue fixed and the suspension mm-hmm. issue, and you're probably more towards 17,000, 18,000. All right. There you okay. go, Sunil. Thank I, you so much. Thanks. Sounds good. No problem. Stick around. We've got more motor media coming up after the break and a lot more Fix It or Flip It. You're listening to Dubai Eye on 103.8. Fix It or Flip It. Now, tell us about your car, and we'll tell you how much it's worth. This is how it works. It's very easy. We need your details about your car, the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. And, of course, as I said, I'm not doing it all all on my own because I uh, have the expert opinion on the line of Matthew Davison, the head of pricing at uh, Algo Driven. Now, Matthew, I've got a text here, which is actually quite a, a really interesting one here. It's from Path. He says, what's the difference between taking a car in for servicing at the dealership and to a reputable garage? He said he finds the garage that he goes to is more reliable and they source all the original parts too. So why does the price of the car depreciate so much when you stop taking it to the dealership for service? I think that's a great question. And he knows, and probably we know that uh, that, that is a good decision, but when people buy cars, they have to make a decision in a relatively short period of time. So they just look at facts and figures. So when they see a service history all stamped by, let's just say, Honda, um, and it's got all the lovely stamps, that's what they see, and that gives them some comfort. But if they see you know, a couple of stamps from Honda at the beginning, and then it's you know, a garage that they don't know, it, 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 they, they, they balance risk. Mm. So um, you know, I, I think this is a, a good move to make when a car's getting older. So say... Typically, a car at six years old has definitely got no warranty left and, and is probably out of service contracts and everything. If you're going to continue to keep that car for a few more years, I would recommend getting the benefits of, of servicing outside of an agency mm. because you're the one that's going to keep the car. But if it's a short-term decision and you've, you've got that agency history, I'd probably carry on servicing it for you know one more service or whatever it is. Well, until you sell the car because you'll get the benefit from it. But longer term view, and a lot of people are keeping their cars longer at the moment because of the shortage of cars in the market, I, I actually think it's a good decision. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things that really, it comes up when you want to sell the car. So for instance, uh, with, with these buyback schemes that are happening now with, with dealerships, of course, that's going to impact the value if you don't have it serviced through their dealership. 
But as you say, it's it's only an issue when you come to sell the car. If you're planning to keep the car or pass it on to your to your children when they finish school or whatever, then the resale value becomes negligible on the vehicle if you're going to keep it. So you know you can you can get it serviced at the at the place that that you're happy with, I guess. Yeah, yeah, true. And and I think you raise a good point there that you know when you're when you're looking at, when you're looking at it and you think right, well, how am I going to lose here? If you go to a, a main dealer, they're going to look, or anybody that's buying your car, they're going to look for reasons to, to take the price down. And, mm. and unless you're a very good salesperson where you can actually justify why, why you've done it. But, you know, cars do stay in families for longer. And, yeah. you know, I, I've got, I've got a, a few cars in my household. One of them is a 2013 Ford Explorer. You know, I've, I've got a trusted garage that I take it to because I'm going to keep that car for a, for a couple more years. It's a workhorse. And when that value of the car comes down, it doesn't matter as much. So, for example, if your car is 20, 30,000, um, you're not going to have as much problem with out of agency history. But if your car is 120,000, believe me, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a very good point. Absolutely. So uh, we've got Niall on the line, and Niall, you've got a car that we're, that uh, that you should have no issues with, a 2011 Prado, I believe. Correct, yeah. It's running okay. It's, it's wondering what sort of value is it. So what what, what year and uh, how many kilometres have we got there? It's 213,000 kilometres in 2011, mid-range, leather seats. And okay, so uh, V6 or four-cylinder? Uh, V6. Okay. Four. Okay, Matthew, is that ticking the boxes uh, for you? It is ticking the boxes. <laughs> and, and again, another car we talk about a lot. And and being the V6, the 4-litre V6, it's much more, much more desirable. And those kilometres are, are, what, 20,000 a year. It's not super high. Uh, and these Prados do run and run and run. I, I, I would say that car is still... Even with those kilometres and that age, still knocking on sixty-five, seventy thousand dirhams. Sounds good. Yeah, but why are you uh, thinking of selling it, Niall? It's a, it's an always in demand car. Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking now. You know, it is definitely giving me no trouble whatsoever. And I bought it at eighty something thousand two years ago or two and a half years ago. But yeah, no, I think it, the right thing to do is hold on to it. What would you be thinking of uh, trading it for or, or, or upgrading to? Well, I was looking. I was just looking to buy a second car, basically just a, a second car. I, I, I don't know from my wife, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I'd probably better haul this and, and just buy a second-hand car for her, you know. Fantastic. Well, all the best with that one, and uh, oh, you won't have any trouble selling that. I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> just oh. a solid car. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Noel. Um, now, we've got uh, a text from uh, Parak. He's got uh, another favourite of ours, Matthew. It's a Lexus LX570 Premier model, 2017 silver. But get this, 22,000 kilometres, according to uh, according to him. Yeah, I mean, these these are, you know, they're, they're business class on wheels, aren't they? They're yeah. beautiful cars, <laughs> great way to move the family around. But that's super low kilometres for it a is. car that's essentially four years old. Um, I, I think that car could be as much as 300k. Wow. Uh, okay. Because, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen in the market lately those cars going with average kilometres for for 260, 270. And when I say average kilometres, I'm talking about 80, 90 thousand. So yeah. that will that there, there isn't a huge amount of inventory out there at the moment. Um, I, I'd be pretty sure even Lexus would want that car. They would have customers for that car. I'm talking about their used car division. Mm. So 
I would I would start by going to see Lexus and actually saying, what would you give me for the car? I, you know, I have a feeling it's going to, going to be um, more like a, a 260, 270, but just out of interest to tick that to tick that box if they have a customer for it. But I think out in, in, in the market, if you put the car online yourself, I think 300,000, I'd put it on yeah. a 299 and I think you'd get interest. Yeah, yeah. Now, Shan has a car, and uh, you know where my heart lies, Matthew. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm wincing to hear your, your, your answer to this one. It's an Alfa Romeo Giulietta. It's white. It's a 1.4 litre 2015 model. To be fair, it has only 43,000 kilometres on it. But uh, Alfa Romeos and resale, they don't really. They're not. They're not good matchmates quite often. So what, 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 what's your opinion on this one? They're, they're not. But you know, the Giulietta is still is still a nice car. Um, I think that car's probably between 35, 38,000, something like that. Um, and, you know, I think, I think somebody will snap it up mm. because it's, it's, a, it's a good looking car. And there isn't, as we keep saying at the moment, it's going to continue for the next couple of years. There isn't great inventory in the market at the moment for used cars. So there probably isn't a better time to offload an Alpha. Yeah. But um, yeah. Thirty-five to thirty-eight thousand for that car. Okay, okay. Uh, we've got another question here from uh, from Julie, and Julie says that her son is coming from the Philippines and has recently got his driver's license in the Philippines. Does he still need to take lessons and start over as if he never learned back home? And uh, is that the RTA requirement? My understanding is that it is. You, you when you come here, you still have to go through uh, for certain countries though um, the whole process of getting your license again. Yeah, so there's there's a certain list of countries that you can convert your license, mm. um, which is a very simple prote- uh, process, and an eye test is required, and then uh, you know literally 15 minutes later you're walking out with the license in your hand. But Philippines is not one of those countries. Now, having a, a previous license and experience in driving will probably mean he needs less lessons. Um, and the the examiner will actually look at him on his first couple of uh, lessons, and obviously you know, look at what he needs to take him up to the test standard. Um, but he will need to go through the process, yes. And and I would put aside around four to five thousand dirhams for everything, lessons, the test fees, etc., just to to manage your budget. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well we've got uh, more coming up with Matthew to tell you how much your car's worth. This is Motormania, Dubai 103.8. We're back in the driver's seat on Motormania. Only on Dubai I 103.8. Yes, welcome back. This is uh, Fix It or Flip It. I'm Damien Reed. To tell us about your car, we'll tell you how much it's worth. And Matthew Davison, valuation guru and head of pricing at Algo Driven, will do his best to uh, to give you the value on that. And uh, just in a few moments' time, we're also going to do the speed quote. He's got eight to beat. Let's see if we can put Matthew's valuation smarts into overdrive. In the meantime, though, we've got uh, we've got uh, Kamala has, has um, a 2014 Porsche Cayenne, I believe, and uh, we've got uh, Kamala on the line. Good morning, Kamala. Hi. Good morning, guys. Hi. So I understand you have a, a, a Porsche Cayenne, about 150,000 kilometres on the clock. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, yep, it's one owner only. I've always driven it. Always had it serviced at the garage. At the dealership, um, and I'm thinking it might be a good time now to to get a new one. And uh, I was just wondering, a, what's the value, and b, is it better to sell it privately or to do a part exchange at the dealership? Yeah, Matthew Porsche Cayennes. They, it's one of the most 
popular Porsches that they've ever made for the SUV. And, of course, here, very, very popular car. Yeah, I mean, it. it uh, I remember when it first launched in 2003, um, everybody scoffed at it, and then it became one of the big hitting cars, not just here, but around the world. Uh, the first question I have, is, is it the V6? Is it the standard uh, Cayenne, or is it the yeah. S GTS Turbo? Because no, that's going to... Standard, yeah. It's a standard V6. Okay, I think yeah. you're looking probably around ninety thousand as a value. To answer your question, should you sell it privately or trade it in, you will always get roughly fifteen to twenty percent more by selling it yourself. Um, that's always a barometer that you you, you should use. Um, if you are going to sell it yourself, then you've got all, all your traditional um, websites. Uh, that you can put it on, like Yala Motor, Doobie Cars, Tabizzle, etc. But uh, I always think looking at your network of friends, family, and work colleagues is also uh, a good option as well, because uh, people are looking for cars at the moment, uh, and people like to buy cars from people that they know and trust. And also, you'd be surprised, um, neighbors and, and people that live in your area, uh, that's also a good option to let people know that you're selling your car. But um, I think you're going to get... Uh, around 65 to 70 as a trade-in and more towards 90 if you sold it yourself. Oh, so quite a massive difference. Okay. Yes. Um, and it's got the warranty as well, which has, uh, it runs till February and it's, it's extendable for one more year. So yeah, I, I think that's an excellent selling feature because Porsche do extend the warranty up to the 10th year. And mm -hmm. there's not going to be many of the cars out there with a warranty. The first thing that you need to say in the headline of your advert is warranty, because that's going to put your car at the top of most people's uh, lists. So make sure that you highlight that very strongly in the headline and the description. Okay, lovely. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Kamala. And also on the line, we have Marina. And Marina, you have uh, another favourite, Mitsubishi Pajero 2013. Uh, you're looking to sell it and uh, and trade into something else. Good morning, Marina. Uh, good morning. Good morning, yes. You have a Mitsubishi Pajero? Yes, yes. Okay, so you're looking to sell this and uh, trade into another car. Is that correct? Tell, tell us a little bit about yeah. your Pajero. So Pajero is very old. It's black. Uh, kilometer use one hundred seventy uh, one thousand. I want to sell it very fast, so I don't want to handle it myself. And I'm looking to purchase a car. I use one car. It's Audi A. A four. Audi A four. kilometers. They're asking 85,000 dirhams. Uh, I'm not sure it's a good choice or not. Okay, but so I Matthew, two, two there for you. Uh, the value of the Pajero, and, and what do you think about the Audi? Yeah, so starting with the Pajero, I mean, its value currently is around 30, but you say you want to move it quickly, which means you're probably going to um, go to one of the cash buying companies um, that are out there that will buy your car quickly. The only downside to that is they're probably going to offer you about 21, 22. Um, you're never going to get the full, um, what we call retail price for it. Um, but understand that you might be better trading it uh, and 
because the, the people that you're buying the car from, they'll have some margin in the car that they're selling and they'll offset that against your trade-in. So maybe you might get 25 as a trade-in. What was the A4 uh, year? I didn't catch that, the year of the A4. Uh, 2019. Okay, yeah, I thought it might be a, at that price, an 18 or a 19. Look, I mean, it. Th there are different trim levels on there you've got the 35 you've got the 45 but the the, the pump the most popular one here is the 35 um tsfi uh, and you'd be looking at around 85 for that car if it's a 19 with those type of kilometers so, so you say they're selling it for 80 mm -hmm. they are selling for 85 okay like so last yeah exactly 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 what i would imagine the car to be so i would i would i would if you can get 25 for your car as a trade-in bringing that car down to sixty thousand, i think that would probably be a smart move because then you move your car quickly and you're getting into the audi for 60. Okay. there you go marina i hope that uh i hope that uh gives you gives you some 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 great advice we've got praveen on the line praveen you've got a dodge charger 2014 model tell us a little bit about it Oh, hi, Matthew. Nice. It's a great opportunity talking with you. And uh, to speak a little about my car, uh, it's a 2014 Dodge Charger model, black color, a V6 engine, mm -hmm. around 209,000 kilometers uh, already on the road. And uh, I just love the car and I don't want to sell it. But I just want to know for how long can I drive it? Because, you know, I've, I don't have deep pockets. So... Uh, you know, keeping the budget and uh, the maintenance. So how long would you advise me if I wish to keep this car for long? No. Or is it good to drive, uh, drive an American? Uh, I, I hope you also know the fact that it's an American car. So uh, I'm kind of like, you know, okay, what do I do? Because I don't have the money like I used to have before. Mm. Uh, the, the time that I bought it. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean... If you maintain it, if you keep it well maintained, it's uh, it, it should last you a long time. Two hundred nine thousand kilometres. You know, there's there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of meat on the bone, as they say, with that one. So, uh, Matthew, what do we, what do you think? I mean, yeah, that, I I think there's plenty of life in that vehicle yet. Yeah, I mean, we we need to unpack a few things. I mean, mm. first of all, the, the the car is an American brand and and made in America, but you know, it can be an American spec. And the, the reason I, I I dissect it is because. Um, when they come in, they tend a lot of them tend to have a history and a story behind them, which makes it a little bit more difficult to resell. But let's just say it's a GCC car that that should sell for about twenty seven, twenty eight thousand. Mm. The the road and track, the um, five point seven, the V eight, they're the popular ones. Yeah, uh, the the three point six V six. Um, you know, they've got a lower price point, which is what makes them attractive. I think you need to um, be smart in your maintenance. Uh, I would change the oil um, every six months at this age. I wouldn't go 12 months. And there's two reasons I'd do that is that will extend the life of the engine a little bit more because it's as these engines get older, they, they tend to the, the oil tends to get um, used a lot quicker. It burns and, and, and uses the oil much faster. So changing it more frequently will extend the life of it. And also that gives the work, workshop a, a quick opportunity to you know check the hoses, check the clips, the pipes, see if there's any minor leaks beginning from the gearbox or the engine uh, to give you a heads up because a minor leak will you know be okay for six, nine months. But if they spot um, 
uh, a major league, that, you know, that could be pretty terminal fast. So that's a smart way of doing it in for a service, an oil change, which is going to cost, what, 200 dirhams every six months and, and also get the guys to, to, to look over the car. And I think you can then enjoy that car for at least another two, three years. Two, three years. Oh, that, that's great. Now, uh, also, you know, uh, the, the thing is, uh, recently I've moved from an agency. I used to give it to the agency for, uh, for about like uh, five to six years until the, you know, the contract got expired. And now recently for any major service, I'm doing it outside. Uh, is it okay? Yes. And, and earlier on in the show today, we were talking about that. And, and you kind of fit what we were saying. If you're keeping the car for a few more years, um, I don't think it's a big problem. And remember, price point is critical here. Somebody looking to spend 25, 26,000, they're, they're going to want a car that's running well. Um, agency stamps and service is nice for them, but it's not going to be a deal breaker. So I think service at a reputable garage that, that, that can handle Dodge um, and, and feel free to do that for the next two, three years that you own it. That sounds pretty good, Praveen, yeah. Thank you. Great. No problems. Enjoy your day. On the line now, we've got uh, Anchor. And uh, Anchor, you have a GMC Terrain 2015 model. Hey, guys. How's it going? Yeah, good. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so it's actually my wife's car. She must have sent the SMS and she stepped out of the car. <laughs> Can I brief you guys a little bit on it? Um, so, yeah, she's got a 2015 white GMC Terrain uh, standard model. Um, She's clogged in around 120,000 kilometers on it. And uh, and I was thinking, now that she's out of warranty and she's out of the service program, um, I was wondering whether to continue this um, or should I should I uh, exchange it for a, a, a another car for her? Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, she's got the original um, design on it, the, the, the box type, not the new, um, not the new curvy design that they've changed yeah. to over the last few years. Yeah, so it's a 2015 model, um, and it's a four-cylinder, I believe, also. That's right. Yeah, yeah, so Matthew, what do you think? About 120,000 kilometres on that one. Yeah, in terms of value, I think early 40s, something like 41, 42,000. Yes, it has just come out of warranty, um, but these cars, the issues tend to arrive around the seventh or eighth year. And when I say issues, I mean something that's going to hurt you in your pocket. Um, I, I think you could possibly continue to drive this car. You, you, you've got to think to yourself, well, if I get 41, 42, what am I going to do with that money, especially in a market that's very difficult at the moment with inventory? So it, it might be worthwhile hanging on because I don't think this car is going to lose massively more value over the next two years. I think its value in, in an additional two years might be 33 34,000 so if you, if you think 4,000 dirhams depreciation a year for you know you couldn't rent anything even close to that for a couple of months so it might be smart to hang on to it for a couple more years and then uh, by then um, new car sales would have picked up and the used car pressure would have eased off a little bit there you go anchor how, how, how does that sound uh, sounds perfect <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. My dear, so hopefully the wife is okay with driving this <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much, uh, Anchor. Fix it or flip it. 
got a short time left, so tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it's worth. Do all you need to do is send us the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. Matthew Davison, head of pricing at Algo Driven, will do his best. And uh, we've got now on the line, we've got Anakit, who drives a, whose wife drives a 2015 Infinity QX50, 64,000 kilometres, agency maintained. Good morning, Anakit. Good morning, guys. Good morning. So uh, you're looking to sell this uh, this Infinity? Um, yes, uh, we've absolutely had no problems with this car. It's it's a gem to drive. It's got an excellent engine, but there are two bugbears. One is the gas mileage, and the other is it's not particularly roomy inside. Okay, and um, so you're looking to upgrade to what would you be thinking of getting into? A, another Infinity, or, or perhaps looking um, elsewhere? Well, well, we 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 are looking for quote unquote an aspirational purchase. So so far, we've looked at the. Uh, NX300, the mm-hmm. BMW X3, and perhaps you might have a look at the Audi Q5, but I think it wasn't in, so uh, the last I, I checked with, with the dealer. Okay. So this, this is what we've, we've had a look at. Sure. So, uh, Matthew, yeah, the Infiniti 2015 QX50, 64,000 kilometers. Yeah, then they they do a good point on the fuel because I've I've driven this car many times and and uh, the three point seven V six it does uh, eat eat uh, a lot of fuel compared to its counterparts. I think the value is around fifty thousand, um, and being a fifteen, I don't know if you've owned it since new, but you're you're probably ready to to move on. I would imagine now. Yes, it's it's bought. It was bought new. It's white. That's something I forgot to mention in my text. And yeah, yeah, we would like to move on now from this car. Yeah, expect around around fifty thousand for this car when you, when you're looking to sell. Um, I think it will it will move, but um, I think you're making the right decision, especially if you've, if you've owned that car since new. Oh, okay, all right. And what what would your uh, recommendations be for 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 an upgrade or? For a replacement. Did, did you say you're looking at the X3? Um, we looked at the X3 because um, let's put it this way: she she doesn't particular she doesn't need a particularly large vehicle, so anything in that uh, size uh, will will do it for her. Either an X3, or then our first choice was the NX300. But then I found out that this is probably going to receive an upgrade next year. Uh, I believe it is, Damien. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's uh, there, there is an upgrade on the way, so yeah, it could be a time to to change over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the X3 actually, the BMW X3 gives you a lot of bang for buck. When you look at the, mm. the price delta between the X3 and the X5, um, you know, excluding the fact that there is a seven seat version of the X5, I'm I'm just looking like for like five seat versions. I fi- I mm-hmm. think the X3 is a lot of car for the money. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely, definitely. You do get a, you get an awful lot out of that vehicle at the moment. Um, it's definitely worth, but as you say, the price is a little bit higher than than the others. It is, yes, yes. But I mean, yeah. Well, we we probably we will probably go that way. I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to reinforce sure. the decision that we've probably made more or less. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I hope <laughs> I hope we've helped you reinforce that decision. Yeah. Yeah, great. It's, it's good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Th- thanks yeah. very much, Annika. And yeah. uh, on the line now we have Loy. Uh, Loy, you've got a Mitsubishi 2017. Tell us a little bit. It's the ASX model. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Hi, Matthew and uh, Damon. Um, yeah, that is correct. I have a uh, Mitsubishi ASX 2017 model. It's a pretty reliable car and uh, um, gets me from point A to point B without any issues. 
I just would like to know the valuation for that one and then the recommendation if do I have to sell it uh, sooner or I have to keep it for, you know, a couple more years and then sell it at, at that time. Yeah, so 170,000 kilometres, uh, 2017 ASX. 170, yes, 170. Mm. Okay, is it the 2 litre? Yes, that's correct. It's a 2 litre. Yeah, I think, you know, the kilometres are getting up there. And my feeling is this car is probably around 33, 34,000. It will sell relatively quickly because people like these cars and and it's you know there's not many 2017 cars you can get for less than 40,000 um and this is you know it's kind of i don't even know what you would it's not quite a crossover but they sit they sit higher on the road for sure than a sedan um and that is an attractive point as we mentioned earlier on in the show but yeah I anticipate around that sort of 33 34,000 how how does that sit with you loy that's 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 brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks. No problems. Enjoy day. Now, very quickly, we've got Vishal on the line. Vishal, you've got a Nissan X Trail SL 2015 model, uh, white, uh, one accident, and you're the second owner. And I understand. That's right. Um, and morning, guys. Um, thank you for accepting my call. Um, I yes, I have an accident about five months ago. Not my fault, but and it's an accident nevertheless on the car. Um, I wanted to understand the value that I should be selling it for. I'm just looking to sell because I want to go for a newer car. Um, it, does it make sense to sell? Should I hold on to it for maybe another year? And then the value of the car will be approximately the same because of the accident. Yeah, sure. So I Matthew, don't know how, how impactful it is. Yeah, yeah 61,000 kilometers, Matthew. Uh, wide x Crow 2015 SL model. Wonderful kilometers, and that might even help you negate the fact of the accident. I mean, and, unless it was a really serious accident, I know you were hit from behind um, or the front. Um, obviously, being hit by from from the backside is much better because in, unless there's chassis damage, uh, a lot of it's superficial. Whereas if you're hit by the front, obviously that's where you've got the engine and yeah. and uh, all the other components for the, the car. So, were you hit from behind? Unfortunately, the front corner. Yeah, front right, uh, left front corner. Front corner. Okay, so and it was repaired at a uh, an agency approved garage. Yes, agency. Uh, well, agency. Uh, it's a non agency. It was Dino Trade. Um, insurance was okay. Not. Okay, Dino Trade. We 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 know them, so they they would have done a good job. Yeah. Look, I think it's yeah. the 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 selling feature of this car is. Um, highlight the low kilometers as your as your headline and obviously when you when you speak to people on the phone explain that it, it's had a uh, an accident on the on the right uh, corner but it was repaired uh, properly and because they're going they're going to find out anyway if they, they do their due, due diligence um, yeah, I think the value actually even considering the accident is probably around 40 42 if it's a mid option um, and I think it it's will sell it, it will sell relatively quickly because of the low case. Okay. Yeah. It's a top option with leather upholstery and um, uh, sunroof and all of that stuff. Okay. Side. Good. Uh, um, if it if it's if it's a top option, then you're looking at least another six to seven thousand on top of that, because there isn't okay. many many on the market at the moment. So I, I would increase that to more like thirty uh, forty seven forty eight. Okay. Can I have one more question, if you don't mind? Very very quickly. We've got speed quote coming up at the moment. Just one more quickly. Yeah. White color does it make an impact? in the price 
not not massively it's just the fact that the, you know the bulk of the cast here are white i mean it, it's it, it, what would affect it if it was a really unusual color like a purple or something but you know white black silver they they're all going to sell for the same color uh, same price so i don't need to hold it for another year uh, I, um, that's all i wanted to know uh, the, the new the it. new x trails out but it's not going to have a massive impact this year maybe yeah a year 18 months that that'll stop having some downward pressure but i think you're good for 18 months to be honest with you oh, brilliant visual Thanks. Thanks very much. Enjoy it. And uh, we've just got a little bit of time now. Matthew, um, we've got the speed quote coming up. Now, your record is eight as it stands right now. Uh, you've been uh, you've been limbering up for this one. Yeah, I've just been stretching off air, so I feel <laughs> confident we can, we can put in a good performance today. Taking the, uh, the, the goggles and, uh, and, and getting your value book by your side. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Glasses guides out. Right, okay, so we're going to give you 60 seconds and uh, your time starts now. Okay, so it's a Ford Focus ST 2014 blue, 146,000 kilometres. Uh, it's a manual only car, uh, so limited buyers, but still 30,000. Okay, 2019 Audi A3 blue Cosmos, 32,000k. Uh, that'll sell well around 75,000. 2011 Ford Escape XLT V6 3 litre, 107,000k blue, uh, serviced at the dealer till January next year. Uh, old car now, um, low kilometres though for the age, around 18,000, 19,000. Okay, Volvo S90 2020 model T5, 15,000 kilometres. Oof, 125, 130. Okay, a 2006 Range Rover 35th anniversary edition, dark purple, 246,000 kilometres, extra features for the 35th edition. Okay, it's old, it's purple, it's a lot of kilometres, not much money, 25,000. <laughs> okay, 2012 Pajero V6, five-door, top of the range, 250,000 kilometres, metallic grey. Oh, we'll still sell well, 30k. Oh, there you go. Okay, so that was, to be fair, we, we threw some extra details with some of those ones in. Six for today. Six for yeah, today. Yeah, strong six, though. A, a, a very accurate and strong six, I believe. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I'm going to give you – I'm going to extend this one a little bit. We've got a few more. See if you can get these ones in. Um, we'll start – we'll leave the timer alone for the moment because we've, we've got a few to go. Okay, let's let's try. Let's let's go over this one now. Okay, it's a uh, Audi 2010 model, A4, 198,000 kilometres. Oh, that won't sell much now. Um, probably about 15k. Not not going to sell for much money. Okay, Honda Accord Coupe V6, 3.5 litre, 2015, 69,000 kilometres. V6 with the low kilometres as well. Um, probably about 45,000. There you go. There we go. That, there's 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 the eight that we're going to get next time. I guarantee you. Uh, <laughs> well, um, we love it. We love it. Brilliant, mate. Thank you so much, Matthew. If you uh, if you did text in, we didn't get your message, uh, we will contact you later. Of course, uh, fix it or flip it. We're back on the 27th. And, uh, and Matthew, your plans for this afternoon very quickly. Uh, I, I'm actually resting because yesterday uh, with Supercars Majlis, we did a, a rally to the top of Jebel Jace, uh, literally to the very top, the top car park where no one usually is allowed to go. And we, we, had a, we made a 50 sign out of 60 supercars. And it was just the most, you know, you look on Supercars Majlis Instagram um, and you will see what we were doing yesterday. 
Uh, even the ruler of Ras al-Khaimah came. Uh, it was just a fantastic day to celebrate 50 years of this amazing country. Fantastic. Well, uh, enjoy your weekend, Matthew Davison from Algo Driven, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks' time. This is Motormania, Dubai Eye 103.8. We're back in the driver's seat. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, with you through until midday. This is Motormania, Dubai O, 103.8. We've got a little bit more time to come for the show this morning, I should say. And uh, right now, we're going to speak to uh, a woman who I've wanted to have a chat with for quite a while because uh, what she's achieved in, in motorsport is absolutely outstanding. And that is, of course, Amna Alkabasi, the UAE's first professional race car driver on the international stage, uh, began rating, racing in carts here in 2014 and uh, has been racing in Formula 4 across uh, Italy and... Uh, has been doing some pretty amazing stuff here locally. Uh, on the line now, Amna Kabasi, good morning. Good morning. You've been very – I follow your social media, and you have been so busy with uh, with your motorsport activities in, in the last few weeks. I don't know how you keep up with it all. Yeah, yeah, it's been a pretty hectic uh, month, especially since, you know, National Day is coming up. There's a lot of things happening. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Now, you were out at the Yas Marina circuit last week and uh, you set a new record. Um, tell us a little bit about this this record that you set. It was with Cadillac, I believe. Yes, it's with Cadillac. It was a great pleasure for me to join Cadillac team with their regional launch of the Cadillac's uh, fastest sedans ever, the CT4V Blackwing and the CT5V Blackwing. So like any race, you know, getting into the Cadillac CT5V and driving it at uh, Yas Marina Circuit to set the record was such an adrenaline-filled experience. The record we set was uh, 2.29 minutes and resulted in the official title of the fastest production sedan around Yas Marina Circuit in the CT5V. I was also Im- impressed, you know, with the you know, with, that, with its advanced track capabilities. Like, as a racer, I felt it gave me everything I needed. And the event uh, altogether was really exciting, where a key regional media joined to witness the record as, uh, before experiencing the Cadillac V-Series Blackwing for themselves. Fantastic. Now, obviously, with to set a record, they, they're very closely monitored to make sure everything is as as per the rules, it's a production car. It was, as you say, it's the, the CT5V Blackwing, um, which is a 6.2-litre supercharged V8, um, a, an amazing performance vehicle. Uh, do you, in terms of showroom stock, what, what sort of modifications could you do? I mean, I mean obviously, I, could, I imagine you could play with tyre pressures, but was there anything else that you could actually do with the car? Well, you know, that's the most impressive part about this experience was that nothing was done to the Cadillac CT5V Blackwing. Like, I used to set the record beyond the usual pre-race checklist, so it's just out of the showroom. So, like, the CT5V comes with distinguished features, so it's an upgraded and hand-assembled 6.2-liter supercharged V8 engine. So it's a 668-horsepower and it has functional aerodynamics, including carbon fiber package. And it has, you know, the track uh, track competence to support cooling needs for the car's engine, transmission. And they have a high-performance braking system, which is really impressive. And I really loved it about the Cadillac CT5V Blackwing. And yeah. as well as their traction and suspension. 
Yeah, it was fantastic. I had the chance to drive it, uh, not at that day, but just a, a day before, just a, around town. And uh, yeah, I mean, 3.4 seconds to 100 kilometres now. This car is, um, and it's got the, the Magna Ride suspension, um, it's carbon fibre, uh, carbon ceramic disc brakes, just, it really is a uh, performance gear. Um, did it take you more than, say, a lap or two to get comfortable, or were you just comfortable? I mean, you know the circuit inside out. Were you just comfortable when you, as soon as you jump behind the wheel? That's the thing, you know, it was the new configuration of Yas Marina circuit. So I was completely mm. oblivious of how the track would be. So, but I had full confidence with the Blackwing. So the minute I stepped into this beast, it was like a natural connection. So it's, it's a companion for a racer on track. Yeah. So, yeah, in the beginning, it took me time, but then immediately I was surprised. I got that comfortable with the car and the track. Okay, now I have to ask you, you're the first person I know who's driven on the new reprofiled Yas Marina circuit. We've got the, the Etihad Airways Abu Dhabi Grand Prix coming up soon. Really looking forward to that. Uh, give me your opinion. What, what, what do you think of the new, the new profiled corners and, and around underneath the hotel? Ooh, so the corners have been, now the track's much wider than it was before. So that would give, you know, opportunities for overtaking. I believe you know three three F1 cars could <laughs> run side <laughs> to side around these corners. Um, so the corner that they've changed was, I believe, the back uh, straight. I think it's corner eleven, twelve. Yeah, yeah. Now just big oval, like an oval, uh, like in Zandvoort. So it's a really high speed corner, and then coming straight into the hotel, it's off camber and much wider. Uh, and I believe the. Before the last corner, I've been told, you know, Formula One cars could take that right turn full yep. uh, full speed. So uh, I think now a really high speed track. Looking forward to that. Looking forward. How did the how did the CD five V Blackwing compare to? Obviously, it's a street car. You've your your open wheel background, uh, dedicated single seater open wheel car. What, what, what's the difference to a, to a, to a layperson in terms of the perform the, the feeling of a high performance sports saloon to a to a proper race car? So on track, the car offered everything I needed from a performance aspect. Uh, it's an ideal day to day road companion. So if you're willing to be the center of attention, believe me when I say they are a head turner. From Cadillac's design to comfort, safety, and entertainment uh, features, it brings the full package. So it has an enormous, so it's a numerous V-series Blackwing signature touches the unexpected design, which su surprises intended for true enthusiasts to find. So in my end, I believe the feeling you will get depends on the mindset you are in. So if you're, the whole purpose of using the car in that moment, and I can confidently say it accommodates both the circumstances. So it's on track and on the road. So um, I would say, you know, a Formula 3 car compared to the Cadillac. Uh, the Cadillac is much faster, in, uh, in my opinion. You know, more horsepower, supercharge, um, torque. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, as, as people who follow motorsport, we've followed your progress right from the beginning. Also, your sister Hamda. It's been sensational to, to see both of you come through the ranks from, from go-karting into, uh, into uh, open-wheel racing now. Um, for those who, though, who may not know, tell us a little bit about how you became interested in, in motor racing. Uh, I would like to say thank you as well for even having me on the show. But uh, my whole uh, journey in motorsport uh, started with my father. Um, he was a racing driver himself, and he started in 2009. That was when I was nine years old. 
and he would invite drivers over for dinner and they would talk about racing and you know the tracks they've been to so i was like oh what is this racing it sounds you know very interesting and that's when i took part in 2014 when i was 14 and then a year later my sister joined in fantastic and you've um you you you're being very humble about your father Khaled um being i mean i have i've i've known Khaled for a long time and he's one of one of the one of the UAE's great gentlemen i really enjoy having a chat with him but he's the first emirati to race at le mans and i was actually there that that weekend and uh and he's also the twice winner of the dubai 24 hour with the with the black falcon team won at yas the 12 hour as well um that's that's pretty pretty good pedigree that you're you're coming from there there yeah, yeah. My father has done so much achievements. You know, it just inspired me to fill in his footsteps. I wanted to do the same. And um, my sister as well, you know, her competing now this year in F4, she made history by being the first female in history to get a podium at the F4 Italian Championship. So, uh, you know, each one of us are creating history in their own way, which is which is really interesting and amazing. That is amazing. Following following in your footsteps with the uh, the Italian F four championships um, and uh, your plans for next year. I hear there's some some exciting talk going on in the background. Is there anything you can uh, you can share with us? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could announce anything yet, but um, for sure, you know there will be some more racing next year. Um, everything is being settled. Everything is being organised, and we will announce them soon. Hopefully, by the end of this year. Okay. Well, that sounds uh, all very good. Um, and your plans for the uh, for your? I imagine you'll be getting down to the Yas Marina circuit for for Abu Dhabi. Are you also looking at perhaps heading out to uh, to the other Grands Prix in the region? Because we're we're in Brazil now, but we're 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 finishing off the season with three in the region with Qatar next uh, in two weeks. Then we're in Jeddah, and then we come here to to Abu Dhabi. Um, are you planning to to get to a race or two? Ooh, I would love to. However, you know, with my university, it will be very difficult to travel and stay up to date with my classes and exams are coming up as well. So I would love to if I could, though it's, you know, a 50-50 chance I might go to Jeddah or not. Ah, uh, well... We wish you all the best and, um, yeah, really look forward to, to to finally hearing what your announcement will be. I'm going to keep a close eye on that. And uh, But thank you so much, Amna, for uh, for joining us this morning. And, uh, yeah, we wish you and, and the family all the motor racing best for the, for the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure having this conversation with you. Always a pleasure. Thanks very much, uh, Amna Alkabasi, the first female pro- professional racing driver on the international stage from the from the uh, the UAE, and uh, set that record with Cadillac as the uh, the fastest production car around the Yas Marina circuit, the home of the Etihad Airways Formula One Abu Dhabi Grand Prix that's coming up in just a few weeks' time. A little bit more to come, so don't go too far away. This is Motormania. You're listening to us on Dubai One Hundred Three Point Eight. In the driver's seat on Motormania. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. 
Yes, uh, Damien Reid with you for a little bit more to, to Midday Motormania 103.8 on Dubai Eye. And uh, a lot of you got in touch to say that you've been paying uh, more for your Hala or Kareem ride. Now, no doubt Kareem is busy, that's for sure. And uh, Basil Al Nahui is the CEO of Mobility at Kareem. And uh, he talked about the, uh, the average waiting times. During COVID, traffic went down and people got used to nearly zero waiting times. I think the average in many locations went down to a minute wait, which was never ever a standard in the ride hailing industry. So customers for the past year and a half have not been waiting for their rides, whether taxi, limousine or anything else. And all of a sudden the traffic is back and we're going back uh, to um, you know the three and the five minute average times. But the customers obviously are feeling the difference from what they've been used to for the past hour and a half. Yes, yeah, so that's the uh, that's the word from from uh, Karim. Um, I'd like to know what is the longest that you've waited for a Karim? Uh, Basil said there just aren't enough cars and captains out there, so I'm curious to know whether the shortage is of cars is also having an effect on the rentals. So, with that in mind, I'm now joined by Wilhelm Hedberg, the founder of eCar. Uh, good morning, Wilhelm. Good morning, Damien. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Um, now, we uh, we know now that the global production of, of vehicles at the moment, it's taking a beating, and that's impacting dealerships. It's deep, impacting the supply chain right through, and that means that the UAE is seeing a shortage in new cars as well. How has this affected the, uh, the rental car market in general? Massively. So <clears throat> at this point in time, most of the car rental companies are operating at about a 95% utilization, which is unprecedented. Effectively, what that means is that at any, any given point in time, any day, um, even car like large car rental companies uh, with you know t- tens of thousands of cars may only have a handful uh, of vehicles available at that given day. So um, the shortage is impacting the car rental space massively. Uh, Vis-a-vis, uh, after this has sort of happened now, the prices, of course, are now starting to increase quite uh, significantly as well. So we're seeing prices on the rental market go up across the board as they're sort of offsetting and nearly taking advantage of this current situation. Yeah, and I imagine, too, that the, the, the big rental companies and yourself included, you know, you're, you're, you're good customers of the, uh, of the, the importers, and, uh, and even for, for large volume numbers like yourself you're not getting a whole lot of slack in the current situation no so we at eCar we have two products we have one is a car sharing which is effectively a free-floating system of vehicles that are parked for example throughout dubai we have close to uh, close to about a thousand cars which can be unlocked via uh, your mobile app and and driven uh, the rta service for example you pay per minute so that's quite different to traditional uh, car rental we do have another program called um, subscription leasing, where you can have a car door delivered uh, and you can rent that for one to eight months. And there we're simply aggregating vehicles from the car rental market, uh, a bit more similar to traditional car rental. And that we've seen taken a pretty significant beating. To, to uh, put a, an example in play, about two weeks ago, um, we were only operating about a 10% success rate, meaning only one out of every 10 confirmed you know, one, two month long bookings um, were able to be executed because there's just wow. there's such a shortage of vehicles in the market. Wow. So tell me, what's what's the fleet size at the moment in the UAE for, for e-car? We're, about, we're in the neighborhood of around 1,200 cars in the UAE. Um, and then we have an additional about uh, close to about 800 in Saudi Arabia. 
and we're launching in Thailand and Malaysia in December. Okay, fantastic. Well, uh, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. So you were saying that that was the figure, that the, the one in 10 recently. What's the demand currently right now as we speak now for, for rental cars? So for the subscription program, we're doing a, probably about 50 uh, confirmed bookings per day at this point. Um, and our average, uh, let's call it lifetime value of that customer is about three months per booking. So that's for the longer term. Um, for car sharing, we're seeing numbers now hitting where we were pre-COVID, where uh, the highest utilized car share service actually in the world was our Dubai service. We're doing a, a close to about four or five bookings per car per day, which is uh, for car share, unlike uh, ride hailing, where you really have a 24-hour window of, of booking for self-drive. Uh, that that window is typically only between six in the morning and, and about midnight. You don't see a whole lot of people booking, you know, hour-long bookings between you know four and five in the morning. Let's say. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Now, how does that compare in terms of uh, the global demand and the obviously the shortage on a global level in terms of um, the demand for rental cars here? How does that compare on a, on a global situation? Yeah, so the global rental market is going through a really tough time at this at this point. I mean, the, the market is making quite a bit of money, but there's a massive shortage. Um, so it, you know, and, and I think this kind of spills over and reflects um, on on the tourist experience. Imagine, for example, you know, Dubai was to have its own kind of uh, ranking. Um, you know, if I was a tourist coming in for Expo and I'm looking to rent a car, chances are I probably won't be able to rent one currently. There just aren't available vehicles. So we, we see e-car as being a solid solution for, for tourists coming, coming through. But for the next sort of 6 to 12 months, uh, at minimum, uh, this uh, situation is not going to be improved um, as far as new vehicles entering the market and offsetting that uh, demand for vehicles. The only solution that, that we've kind of come up with that I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, now, this is um, legal uh, in Saudi Arabia but is yet to be approved in the UAE is something called peer-to-peer rentals, which is effectively the Airbnb of cars. So imagine if you have a personally owned vehicle, uh, you're gone for the weekend or you're at the office and you don't need the car for a few hours, you can rent that vehicle out onto the e-car platform and make money in your wallet. Um, okay. And we see this as being a fantastic solution in the current car shortage because there are literally no shortages of personally owned vehicles in 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 the gulf especially having one yeah. of the highest uh, ownership per thousand vehicles in the world yeah that's that's actually really really interesting um yeah i know it happens elsewhere now just quickly raising prices it's a tricky issue uh especially with people's incomes being affected by the pandemic how do you strike that balance do, do you cap the the rates on your cars yeah, so we um, our pricing is is really quite low um, in, in comparison to other mobility options. Um, so for for e car, you can book a car for as as low as seventy fills uh, per minute. Um, and we also have uh, just launched as of two weeks ago our dynamic pricing module. So if you go into the app, you'll actually see uh, cars that are discounted, like stock prices. Um, so it, it's it's interesting to see, but Let's just take, for example, um, if I were to drive from the marina to the airport, uh, I think uh, for a ride hailing option, that could maybe cost me 80 to 100 uh, a dirham. With a taxi, that would probably be a 60 to 80 dirham. With e-car, it would be about 30 at max. So it just puts things in perspective. Um, 
it's a far cheaper alternative form of mobility. Um, the drawback, though, I suppose, is that you have to walk to the vehicle and unlock it. Mm. So it's up to us as a company to use our AI-driven fleet rebalancing system. Uh, that's our proprietary tech to ensure um, that there's a vehicle within at least the 500-meter walking radius of the hot zones in Dubai. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, Wilhelm, thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, as I say, uh, congratulations on the, the new expansions for ECA and uh, and for answering a few of those questions that we've been getting all morning from from uh, from people who, who are using ride shares and rentals as to why prices are, are increasing. But I guess as we've been saying all morning too, it's a we're a victim of our own success with the economy coming back. But uh, Wilhelm Hedberg, founder of ECA, uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining us this morning. Thank you. Brilliant. And so that's about all we've got time for this morning on uh, on Motormania. We'll be back on November 27 with a whole lot more coming up um, in between. And uh, and in the meantime, of course, we've got, uh, we've got the grill coming up this afternoon. And um, that's about it for this week. We've got uh, Formula 1 happening tonight. We've got a lot of action happening at the Dubai Autodrome today with uh, the first round of the, uh, the UAE National Racing Championships. Don't forget Icons of Porsche next weekend, November 19 and 20 at D3 and, uh, and, and a whole lot more coming up and uh, we'll see you next time on Motormania Dubai 103.8